Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 2 To Seek and Find a Heart Two winters passed in a sort of halted, frustrated curiosity for the girl before the peddler woman came again. The air toward the end of spring had grown heavy with its warmth, and the winds that blew no longer seemed made in light, These were summer's winds, large with fruit, bosomy as mature womanhood. Her mother's garden was as rich as the wind, with its thick beans clambering up vines, sleek scarlet tomatoes peeping from beneath glossy leaves, riotous beds of flowers shouting their joys up to heaven. The girl woke and entered all the beauty about her, and it did not give her the ease she wanted. It stirred her up till she felt her thin chest would burst with the longing, but she was pierced, not at home, among the beauty she yet loved. She wanted to belong to it, to somehow take it into herself, so that its glad throbbing from both without and within would be at last equal, and she would know peace. But without her hearts, lacking them, she had only spent longing. The very tomatoes in their fullness knew what she did not, She grew surly and restless in the house, staring at the garden's walls with something like hatred, and at her parents with a fiercer portion of it. The sun burned her. The paleness of the moon's light could not satisfy her, and she felt pulled in two by the world and silence. Why would no one speak? Was she the only creature with a voice anywhere? She drew up soiled fingers to her mouth and clenched them hard where she knelt beside the runner beans. A deep rolling rumble rocked the sky above her. She looked up, worried. Her mother had been whispering last night to her father that a storm was coming up and due to hit this day, harsh possibly with enough strength and duration to flood them in the house. Their home stood in a slight dip in the earth, and the gentle hills surrounding sent a good deal of runoff into their garden during even mild rains. In the early spring, when the snows were melting, the small brook that bent at the southeast corner of the house often overflowed and formed a shallow pool just below the girl's window. In the mornings, she would sometimes lean out at the sill and gaze solemnly at her reflection in the pale water. She thought it an odd sight, 
to see fresh grass carpeting the bottom of the fleeting pool, and her face shimmering above. But thunderstorms she detested. The noise was a shock to her ears, accustomed to so much silence, and the sudden violent flashes of light alternated with utter darkness, kept her flesh raised, her limbs quivering like a hunted animal. She got up from where she had been kneeling and ran inside to her bedroom. This time, she thought nervously, she would try to distract herself. She had felt unsure about some of the things the peddler woman had said, and she'd wanted to think them through and form questions for the next time. Would there be a next time? whispered a voice. Desperately she answered, There must! There must! Perhaps she could cling to a continuous line of thought all through the storm until it passed. The god, first. The woman had called him meddlesome, but also said that she'd never seen him, and that he stayed down south with his people and his temple. How could he meddle who never came near? Did he walk the country at all? And she said that he knew how to grow hearts, or else he killed them and ate them, or else he wouldn't know what to do with one if he saw it. Which was it? They could not all be true. And she felt a vague uneasiness at the thought that all these contradictory things had come from the lips of the only person who had ever answered her questions. She had nowhere else to turn for answers. What would become of her if she could not trust these? The light seeping in the corners of her window was fading fast. She looked down at her covers, her thin knees and ankles curled beneath her on the bed. She wished briefly that she could run to her parents' room for the company, and for an indefinable something that their presence would provide. Security? Assurance that tomorrow's sun was on its way, regardless? But she knew the reception she would get. Awkward, stilted half-sentences, no invitation to climb up onto their bed with them, and a settling silence while she stood embarrassed in the entrance to their room. Finally, she would mumble something, turn, and leave. And she would know as she left that her leaving brought them relief, and her misery would double. Better to stay here. Why did the Lamia worry about the god if he never came to these parts? Did they, too, live down south near his temple? But the woman had warned her not to go about talking of guttings because the god wouldn't like it. How would he find out or care about what she said in her home? Was he meddlesome or distant? He couldn't, she decided, be both. This she would ask the woman on her next visit. When the storm broke minutes later, its thunderings shook her limbs as surely as they shattered the sky, 
She could not think. There was only fear, total, enveloping. Fear would never end. Had there been mornings of pale sunshine and gentler twilights once, she could not remember. If my heart's lived, she thought in a whimper, I would not be afraid. But she knew no one saw her where she lay clenched. No god, no Lamia, no parents. What use were they all when they could not come to her, or would not? And for a time that night, she despaired of the morning. It came despite her despairing. The sun has never relied on dryadic hope in morning to make it rise. But their garden was flooded, shallowly, enough that the vegetables, herbs, and flowers alike had their roots threatened. The gods must think I'm growing rice to send all this blasted rain, said the girl's mother, sharply and bitterly, in an uncharacteristic burst of speech while her daughter was near. They wouldn't suffer when we starved if the rot comes. Rice, mamma, said the girl hopefully. Her mother turned and looked at her, confused. Then she seemed to realize that she had spoken aloud and her daughter was capable of hearing. Rice seedlings grow in water like this, she said, and fell silent. The girl knew from the tense lines that returned to her mother's shoulders, running across them and up into the curve of her neck, that no more speech would be forthcoming. She could wean several monosyllables from her mother if she persisted, but the price for them would be an impatience and irritation so palpable it would rub up against the girl's skin like rough paper. She settled instead into the familiar disappointment and defeat, and the two of them, joined later by the girl's father, spent the day attempting to salvage the plant roots, ladling up the water laboriously and bringing it to the well, carrying into the garden beds shovelfuls of fresh soil to help soak up the moisture. She was, therefore, not expecting the peddler woman's return that day. But as evening fell, and she sat unnoticed on a smooth rock in the front garden, aching from her labor, she heard the familiar gravelly voice over the gate. Even a missy, spear a drink. Without waiting for an answer, the woman unlatched the gate and let herself in, watching the girl expectantly. A few minutes later, she settled down with the cup of water the girl had finally fetched her, once the surprise had faded. During the trip to and from the well this time, the girl had been steeling herself to ask her questions before anything else was said, before she forgot or they dissolved in substance under the weight of new material for thought. So, when she returned and set the cup in the woman's hands, she saw the woman's mouth open after her first draught with a kind of panic. Now, 
no, I must... And she blurted, wait, wait, I have questions. What? The woman let some of her water slosh over the cup's rim onto her boots. She had her own things to say, and had been full of the momentum for saying them. Being nipped in the bud thus was very irritating. I have questions, said the girl, about some of the things you've told me. Oh dear, said the woman warily. She could think of nothing else to say, but she felt a general discomfort starting somewhere in the region of her chest. Yes, said the girl, taking a steadying breath. There are some things I do not understand. You said you told me that the god can grow hearts, and the Lamia can, too. Well, that's no secret. Don't see why is you take issue with... But last time, the girl interrupted, you said he wouldn't know what to do with a heart if he saw it. Who wouldn't? The peddler looked genuinely confused and rotated her cup in her hand uncomfortably. The god, you said he wouldn't know what to do with a heart. But you said too that he makes hearts grow. Which is it? A hardness came very suddenly into the woman's countenance. She stiffened as though she had that moment been shot through with an arrow thrown by some distant bow. Her features drew together, a single quiver running from brow to jowls and disappearing, leaving behind the face of a fighter. So that's it, is it? she said. You been talking with people, eh? They told you old Gola's dizzy in the head. Well, it's you that was mixed. I never told you nothing about no arts, save as the lame you grows and by their own methods. Nothing but what, and I wanted to tell you. But, said the girl, having not read the woman's change of expression for what it was, but you did tell me that about the god, and, well, can he grow hearts? She felt that she was not being as lucid as she would like, but the woman's total denial had thrown her from her rehearsed track. Her questions were supposed to result in clarification, a sudden clearing of the clouds for the sun's rays to strike down warm and bright. This was not how she planned it. Didn't I say don't worry on him? He's not worth it. Nothing to do with us. But... You said he would be angry if I talked about guttings. How would he know if I talked about... She paused, momentarily aware of something the matter with how this woman was looking at her. Confused, she faltered. I thought you said he came to these parts, but then you told me he only lives in the south with his people. Which is it? They can't both be true. Silence, chilly and stifling, settled on the pair. The woman's cheeks shuddered as a wave of anger swept her. When she spoke, it was strained and sharp. Chet, she said, you call me a liar? No, I... The girl whispered, feeling lost. This was not at all how she had planned it. What had she said? I didn't mean... 
It's just that you say different things, and I don't, I don't know how to make them. The woman stood and slapped her. A short, small sting on the jaw, like swatting a fly. Got more things to do than sit talking with some ungrateful cleanling, full up of impertinent questions, she said in a bark. If you're so curious, you ought to stick your nose in a book and not pull it out till you've glutted your appetite for answers. Got better things to do. Busy woman. Can't be sitting around. And she left, muttering angrily to herself, letting the garden gate swing creaking on its hinges and her cup dropped on its side, emptying its contents onto the sodden earth. The girl waited weeks in agonized anticipation, feeling as though her last connection to anything living was slipping through her fingers. But the woman never returned. The library in their home consisted of a single shelf, wedged in a corner of her father's study. A stern man, he discouraged her attempts to ask him about the books merely by his presence, but she felt moved by an urgency she did not understand. The peddler woman's angry words echoed in her head with an effect quite opposite than that likely intended. If she was not to see the woman again, her search must continue in the only way to which she'd been pointed. It was nearly autumn, and there had been no sign of the woman's return. Her father made market trips every fortnight and would come back with calico and brown paper-wrapped packages for her mother. Flour, eggs, darning needles, fruit, garden tools, or seed packets— once, at the end of the summer, he brought a book, and his daughter, watchful, managed to seize upon it unnoticed in the brown and checked flurry of unpacking. Its hard edges dug into her side and underarm as she flew to the garden and sat, unheeding, in the damp grass, whose shade had let it keep the morning's dew. Tall bean poles shielded her small form from view of the house. Her parents, for the past several winters, had laboriously taught her letters and meanings, a task that had beat up a flame of hope in her when they began, They love me! They love me! Though it faded fast, as their method solidified, set her a page of work, briefly, without inviting conversation, explained the skill needed to complete it, tell her to keep quiet, until she had done. Perhaps, she thought, they did it to keep her occupied. Yet she marked the pages they set her with neat and careful work, absorbed all the instructions they gave, and, in consequence, progressed rapidly toward literacy. The first hope, however, did not return she would bring an immaculate sheet to her mother at the end of an afternoon, and her mother would silently look it over, nod, and continue her own work. 
They had never given her a book, nor read her one. The girl seated herself softly in the shade of the bean plants. The book's pages fell open with their black lines of words set in straight rows. Her eyes slid and skipped over the print as though she would only be caught if she let her gaze linger, or as though her eyes, unbeknownst to her, knew that for which she was searching and had not yet recognized it. What a stick your nose in a book. The sun stood high, drying the grass dew, when she found it. The swift motion in her ceased, slowed, and she let the words take shape with her lips. Soon thick and sudden tears made reading impossible. But she had gotten what she wanted. A few lines. To seek and find a heart, and to give it to life, one must come upon the summer. And I do not mean that summer of our world, but this is a mystery, and only the one who seeks will find it out. The summer sun alone can ripen love to wake and feed a heart, for of the many things encountered in the waking world, the heart is the hungriest of them all. She knew, then, that she would not remain home any longer. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay Benavraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon, who make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much.